Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. This is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Drop us a comment. Leave us a like. Let me know how I'm doing as I bring you this interesting content each and every week. I want to welcome to the show award-winning author and musician Cliff Beach. Cliff is the author of the recently released book, Side Hustle and Flow, which describes his musical journey while he also balanced a day job. It also provides a roadmap to developing your side hustle and offers insights on how you can prepare to be more fulfilled in your life's journey. Cliff is also a talented musician and his independent EP, Who the Funk is Cliff Beach, was nominated for three LA Music Awards. Lastly, he also holds an MBA from Pepperdine University, as well as being a graduate of Berkeley College of Music. Cliff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Edric. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, man. I can't, I've been waiting to talk to you about this because it's such an interesting concept in your book. So let's get right into it. Um, talk to me about the book, Side Hustle and Flow, uh, and why you decided to write it and you know how did it all come about? Uh, well, it was my pandemic project. So as you know, in 2020, music was totally shut down in Los Angeles, where I'm based. And so uh, quickly, we tried to pivot into doing online music. And I know myself. So anytime I have any kind of downtime, I say, I need a project. I got to always be focused on what that next goal is, because I think that's where you lose momentum. Right. You know? And so so I started uh, taking all these free online classes that were available at the time. One of them was a book writing course through Scribe Media, a New York Times bestselling author, Tucker Max, created this, where he has like a group of, of ghostwriters that will help people like Tiffany Haddish and David Coggins create their books. Or if you want on the free route, it'll teach you how to create your own book through mm -hmm. their kind of method and process. So I did that um, got the rough draft or what they call the vomit draft where you throw everything up in 90 days done. And then from there, the editing process took a lot of rounds of edits to get it eventually to a publisher to get it out, uh, a two year process altogether. But I had actually wanted to start writing a book, uh, starting around 2014. And I had originally titled the book, the art of awesome. And I was doing interviews with different people. I interviewed, um, Zig Ziglar's son, Tom Ziglar, and I went to Plano and did that. And then, I visited Zappos in Vegas and I interviewed Jen Lim, who was working in an offshoot of Zappos delivering happiness. And some of that became the last chapter of the book when we learned about being mentored from mentors and learning from the best. Mm. But essentially, I wanted to figure out why some people's lives were awesome and some people's weren't. And just like your show, when you want to talk with interesting people and intelligent ideas, what happens is that that happens through a, a curation. You can't just assume right. that like all the pieces fall together. Right. So I knew somehow some people figure out how to put those pieces together. And, and then through there, I thought at that time, I don't feel like I knew enough or felt I was at the point to actually finish the book. So I shelved it. And then 2020, we picked it back up, starting with now calling it from full to fulfilled. Again, I was trying to figure out like there's people who are busy and there's busyness and then there's business. Think right. about your business. They are different. And so, and then as we started shaping it, um, I started thinking about side hustles and I really figured out that like, okay, this whole time, 20 years in music, I've worked full time. Now I'm vice president of a company uh, called Beauty Tap and I've been in that industry, but then outside of that full time in music. And I call it basically the Hollywood shuffle, but you can do it in any city, <laughs> but essentially you got to do a lot to make things happen. Make That's ends meet. And so from there, uh, we figured out, okay, side hustle, side hustle and flow playing on the words of the movie hustle and flow where he had kind of like a 
unorthodox way of getting his dream out there, which, you know, I think those people who are hustlers, those street people, they just know so much about grinding. You look at mm -hmm. someone like a Damon John, like that's important. Mm -hmm. I think Gary V, the Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, he basically, you know, built up YouTube success and now became a thought leader. He said, I don't have to be the smartest, but nobody will out hustle me. That's true. And I so so side hustle and flow was like, okay, you have to create the the dream and then the action steps to to get that out there. But it's all about flow. As I get older, it's all about balance, the yin and the yang, how you breathe through all those things. Cause there's so many, um, you know, you have the dream, that's the easy part. It's the difficulties and the dead ends and, and all that stuff that you have to get through. People think, okay, we'll get over things. You don't actually get over anything. You just get through it. You go through hell. You keep going through. Mm -hmm. And so the flow is the process because all these times in life, you realize I need to go back to my breathing. I need to focus on the flow. I'm not breathing and stopping and starting because I'm not continuing that flow. When you look at a river, you know, when it's flowing, it's good. When it stops flowing, that's when it becomes brackish and, and mm -hmm. not useful. So, so the flow is just as important as the hustle because everyone's like, let's work harder. But if you're not working smarter, working harder on its own never helps anybody. You just become tired. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. No, it's very relevant because I know in, in the business world and even the world I came from, um, there were folks who valued, oh, I put in 13 hours today and I'm going to do another 14 tomorrow. And it's like, if you got to work that hard, <laughs> then you're not you're not efficient. And I think what you're getting at is finding that efficiency. Rivers are efficient. You have to, you know, you can't have a lot of stuff getting in the way and, and blocking it. So you got to find that efficiency. Um, and but to that point for you, um, you know, which business do you consider your side hustle? Because you're a talented musician. You're also a businessman. Um, and how did you know to develop that part of it over the years? Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, Martin Luther King has this, this quote that says, you don't need to know, see the whole staircase, you know, to take one step. When I started out in music 20 years ago, I wanted to be an amazing singer. And then from there, I took piano lessons since I was a kid. So I really wanted to perfect that. And now I'm endorsed by Nord Keyboards. From there, as your dream develops and you gather a team, it will expand your universe much bigger. Mm. So I tell people, God or whatever you subscribe to has a much bigger dream than, than you just on your own. And so when you tap into the universe, it expanded me from, you know, being a singer and a producer to then being a songwriter to then creating a label and a publishing company. These were all necessities. Like what they don't tell you when you're at Berkeley College of Music or anywhere as an artist is that art and commerce come together if you ever want to make money. And what they don't tell you is that whether you see yourself this way or not, you are an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a business of one. And so if you're not thinking in that structure, that's how artists, you know, hand it to somebody else and they end up losing their 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 money. So there's so many things that you don't have to, you don't know. And the same way I tell people all the time, we focus so much on what I call the, the pregnancy stage and giving birth to the idea. But that is just the beginning right. of a whole new chapter. But like, you can't just have a baby and that's it. You have to now raise this child 18 years to get them to all these different pivots and, and milestones. And so it's a it's it's not one thing it's it's everything but you have to do it in bite-sized chunks you know they say how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time you have to break it down into mm -hmm. incremental changes because you'll overwhelm yourself if you don't do it that way so then from there over the years like even the last five years we saw my music expand into radio i have a local radio show 885 the socal sound every saturday night 10 p.m you can hear me for an hour playing the best funk soul jazz r&b whatever grooves moves I will play it. 
but I hadn't thought anything about doing radio until I happened to be played on that station, chatting with the program director, just talking about playlisting. And they said, hey, do you want to try this? So I say yes to a lot of mm -hmm. things the Universal sent me, but you have to be prepared. You have to do preparation in advance. I had been curating and thinking about music and playlists for many years before I ever went into radio. So the radio um, led into podcasting. We've done 50 episodes of interviews with different musicians on music. And then from there, we branched into TV. I did two seasons of Josh Gate Tonight on Discovery Channel. Again, I was on a free website. Someone found me and said, hey, do you want to do this? I said, sure, let's, let's do it. Do I know how to do that? Sure. Did I know? No. And the same <laughs> way you look at someone like Sarah Blakely, who started Spanx, she ended up getting an opportunity to take her idea onto Oprah for her favorite thing. And Oprah said, well, can you, can you make X amount for this many people? She said, sure. Did she know at the time how to do it? Absolutely not. But you then will start putting the plan in place when you have that big dream. But again, she had worked a year on prototypes and, and making this thing to solve her own felt need, which then made her a billionaire. <laughs> so I don't think you can necessarily know exactly where you're going to be, but you have to start. The main thing is that figure out what you want to do, what you're good at, what you can make money from, what people want from you, what fulfills you, what gives you this energy. <laughs> and then eventually from there, the, the pieces will start to, to fit. And in hindsight, you'll learn and adapt and, and grow. But the main thing is starting because on that journey, making those steps, the staircase becomes clearer as you start to get on it. But if you never get on it, you never start climbing that ladder, then, then you're like way behind other people that are, that are doing that self-work. Exactly. Uh, one of the points you make in the book is that uh, it's so much easier now to develop a side hustle than say it was a few years back. So uh, maybe you can expand on a, a little bit. And why do you think it's so much easier now to start a side hustle than, say, 10, 15 years ago? Well, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, coming from uh, being in America, you just you live in a country where people take for granted. You can wake up and say, I'm a business. You don't have to do anything and find a paperwork. I just am. I, I can. You, do you want my service? I can teach you this. Do you want to pay me for it? Yes. Say you're good. I'm mm -hmm. making this thing. Do you want to buy that? So that's great. That's the first thing. The second thing is like, yeah, there's a lot of different apps and websites. I mean, you look at something like Airbnb. They were an air mattress <laughs> cooking for people staying, you know, on their floor. And now it's a billion dollar app. So did that happen overnight? No. But the idea and the concept, let's let's try something we can do in a business is called an MVP, a minimum viable product to get it out there, to gain the feedback. Because at the end of the day with marketing, you know, you make it, uh, you make this dog food, the dog won't eat it. It doesn't matter. You know, you've wasted so much time. <laughs> so many people have spent so much effort on things. They're like, yeah, this, this isn't a business. This is a hobby or whatever. And again, I talk about side hustles. They don't have to always make money. I met a person who said, I love the salsa dance. I said, if you know what you love to do, you should be doing it as much as you can afford to, as much as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. Some people don't even know what that thing is. But the thing is, is that there is no life one-on-one in education and school. School and life doesn't naturally teach you to think about those things. Like there are other countries that are focusing on that. You look at like the country of Japan, they talk about a theory called Ikigai, where you figure out what life, the reason for living is and you do that. We even know at hospice that people who have some type of purpose, even just waking up and watering a plant daily, gives them a longer lifespan because they woke up with something to do. Someone mm -hmm. was depending on them. There was an accountability there. They were showing up 
to something. People don't do well when they don't have a purpose. They did a whole other experiment where they had these people digging ditches, never told them the reason. And every day they kept raising the wage, the minimum wage. They're like, we'll pay you five bucks more, five bucks more. And every day they saw a steep decline of the same people coming back because at the end of the day, people psychologically need something intrinsic to motivate them to want to show up. And that's what you need to be able to make the sacrifices daily. I tell people all the time when you talk about perseverance and grit, the reason you can create these side hustles is because you have a compelling why, as Simon Sinek says. If you don't have that, then you're not going to want to show up and do that. So the, it's the point where you don't want to do it anymore and it's difficult and you keep going. That's true perseverance. Mm-hmm. Everybody can do the first mile. It's that second mile <laughs> that proves who you are and the character of the person. But I think you have a very democratized society where there's there's no reason not to do it because there are so many free or low-cost apps and the internet and things like Zoom, things that allow you to to be independent of geographic location, to be able to connect with people and to to put a service out there. So I say try as many things and then from there, figure out from there, refine. Um, Fear is one of the biggest obstacles uh, that people who want to develop, uh, you know, something they feel passionate about, they don't do it because they're scared Um, or they think, you know, somebody might judge me or whatever, but fear seems to be one of the biggest challenges for folks. So um, what are some of the ways that people can overcome their fear uh, and develop that courage that they need to follow their dream? Yeah, that's a very good question. And fear, I think, stops most people. You know, when I started doing Toastmasters and public speaking, people, number one fear is public speaking, even more than death. So at a funeral, people would rather be dead in the casket than to give the eulogy, which is crazy, but it's true. And so what happens, I found over time, and I read this book by Susan Jeffers, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, which really pushed me to realize that you have to accept that fear will always be there. But as you start to do something, the closer you move towards that big, hairy, scary thing, the less scary it becomes. Because as you get to it, it's usually not what you thought. Most of the things that we fear um, can either be irrational or only in our mind. They never actually right. materialize, you know? Exactly. And so you just have to be aware of, of that. But I think people have this misconception that, oh, the people who do this are fearless. That's impossible. There, and there's very few people, unless they have some type of, you know, defect really where they have just a gene where they don't have fear fear is like a natural response um and so you just have to accept that it's there but then it starts to dissipate as you start to move forward and and the thing is like when i started writing the book in the scribe media course they say well people are afraid they say what if i don't have anything interesting to say or or new ideas and they say you don't you just don't nobody (laughs) is saying anything new like everything is tried and true when you talk about uh, time management, setting goals, like those things haven't changed in hundreds of years. Now, it filters through you and that makes it unique and that makes it different. And everybody has their their DNA and that X factor and that will come through and your personality that only you can do. But in terms of it being like super novel, very rare, very rare. And so when you let that go, it allows you to be free. That exactly. it doesn't, The fear doesn't matter. It's more importantly of showing up and, and, and doing the work. Because the thing is, you may put it out there, you may be criticized, and you know that's going to happen. But the thing is, they don't make statues for critics. At the end of the right. day, if you want to be remembered or revered, you got to put something out there, and you have to just accept that the world will, will, will let it you know, do what it does. But 
for what I've understood is that 99% of people are good and 99% of people are rooting for you to succeed to some level. Like there's not a lot of trolls out there. There's some, but you know, there's not as many as you would think. It's really still better to get it out there. An idea that's only in your head or what I call hard drive records that nobody will ever hear won't do any good. You right. got to get it out. You right. got to get it out. You got to pull that idea out of your head, put it in front of your face so someone else can see it. Picasso said, it's not about what I see. It's about what I can make you see. And you can't mm-hmm. get to that point unless you have a actual tangible medium out there. <laughs> they don't build statues for critics. I like that. I'm going to steal that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me uh, let me move on now to talk to you about music, because it's such a big part of who you are, your personality, who you are as a human being. Um, when did you discover your talent as a musician um and you know how has music sustained you uh during the ups and downs which you candidly share in the book you share some of your ups and you share some of your downs too so how has music been that that driving force with you all these years well music i feel there's a michael jackson song called music and me i feel like since childhood it's always been a part of my life my family has a lot of amazing vocalists in it and uh, and i grew up in church and the gospel idiom and so you know the call and response and the, the jubilation and joy that you get and i always wanted to i come from a family of mostly ministers i'm not a minister so i tell people i'd rather be on the stage than on the pulpit but i see a lot of similarities in the way you're able to get a message across from there you know when you talk about the books and ups and downs i think most people learn from your struggles way more than your success if you just write a book or tell people just all success. That's what we see on social media. It's just this one snapshot right. that everything's great all the time. That's Good not point. a real great life. Point. You know, it's not a real life. And so, so um, we we learn from all those opportunities and ex- experiences. But music, I started taking piano lessons at like five. Went through choirs and stuff through school and through church. But really, when I went to Berkeley, I graduated at sixteen. Went to Berkeley straight away sight unseen, never being to Boston, very young to be 100% on your own, emancipating yourself and, and taking on that adult role early. But I really enjoyed the experience of conservatory. If you ever see the movie Whiplash, it wasn't quite like that. J.K. Simmons didn't slap me and tell me if I was rushing. But essentially, it was very difficult. A lot of people quit in the first year of Berkeley because it's so hard. A lot of people don't finish. And I finished at 19 with my bachelor's degree. Uh, but I really think that was just like the precipice. Like it got me to a point to learn how to think and figure out music. And I'm still figuring it out. It's an experiment and it's experiential. Um, you know, Tom Edison always talks about, oh, sorry, Albert Einstein always talks about these thought experiences. You can do even practicing in your mind to a certain extent and it lights up your brain and, and you learn a lot that way. But I think I think school education, that's one way to get there. I think there's other ways and other paths. I think we should all be lifelong learners. But in terms of music, listening to music, I've always loved it. I still consume you know, hours and hours and hours on Spotify, streaming music. I do miss actually going physically to stores. I remember those days of looking through vinyl or looking through CDs and really knowing the in and outs of like a Motown record, like who played on it? Okay, who are the right. funk brothers? Who are the reference groups? Those things are important. Who are the songwriters? But I think everyone that I encourage mentoring wise, I say, you know, if you like a certain artist, go back as long as you can the last hundred years to all their influences and their influences, because that's really how you learn the the history. Again, that nothing is new under the sun, but we can put it together in different ways. We can have fusions, you know, bringing stuff together. I did a whole episode on the radio of uh, what's called Country Funk. Had never heard that country and funk had merged and had the baby. They had some Dolly Parton and some other people, but you know, the Delta 
it's like an, uh, a tree. American roots mm-hmm. have all branches, mm-hmm. but blues mm-hmm. and jazz and funk and soul and R&B and early rock, who people forget was, uh, you know, a black medium at, at some point, where you right. look at instruments like the banjo, African instrument, people forget those things. So you have to be constantly reminded of, of the history and where you come from, because, um, you know, if you don't learn from history, then you're doomed to to repeat the same things. And so we see we see we've come so far in some ways and other ways we regress. So we're just trying to become better people. But in my mind right now with the side hustle and flow, when we get to that flow portion, when it comes to music and really how I learned from Han- Herbie Hancock and a lot of musicians that studied Buddhism, even though I'm Christian, basically you focus so much in life on the doing, mm-hmm. but you have to now also focus on the, the being mm-hmm. and they kind of happen uh, together in the same way with music, I tell people it's like it's not about just the notes you play; it's about the notes you don't play. The rest and the silence is just as important, and you have to again be focusing on that that balance. That's what is harmony. That's what music really is underpinned hmm. by. I think Thelonious Monk talked about that the 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 music between the notes. Uh, that was mm-hmm. really something that he, um, unlike anybody else, the way he used sound between his notes was just genius and. Um, you know, and even Prince talked about that. I'm a huge Prince fan. And he's he mm-hmm. talked about the 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 silence between the notes and how that can affect uh, the mood and the feeling and just the the creativity that you're talking about. So uh, it seems like a lot of the great artists over the years are in tune with that, which is I'm not just pl- up here playing notes. I'm actually giving you a feeling and giving you a sense of my spirit in how I play. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, let's talk now about, uh, you, uh, had a chance to audition, uh, during the early phase of American Idol, uh, and you talk about that in the book, but, uh, you know, maybe you can share what that experience was like, uh, and what lessons did you take away from that experience of auditioning for American Idol? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a very long time ago. My first year of moving to LA, waiting three days outside the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, almost freezing, it's high desert, so it gets very cold at night. I think I was huddled next to a friend from Berkeley who I happened to meet in this long, long line uh, for warmth. Uh, and yeah, I, it's crazy. But you, I love that I had the hunger and just the optimism to do something like that because I feel like 20 years later, I would not. <laughs> I would not <laughs> do that. Um, at the same time, though, I, I went through multiple rounds, which they don't show you, to get onto TV. And then eventually, um, you know, when I get to the actual, you know, Hollywood moment, which is curated. Uh, and they already tell you, like, we're not picking who's the best. We're picking like, who's best for TV. And there is a difference. So you have to have a mind when you think about Hollywood. Like, the first time I actually went there, like, what you see the glitz and glam and the red carpet, it's actually just like a, a crack heroin den, essentially. Like, when you look at it, it's, it's real grimy. And, and it's not, you know, what the movie is painted to be. So that's the first thing. I think, uh, but being judged, like I said, there's no statues to critics. So they didn't pick me. And I was very devastated. I mean, I felt like all my dreams were dashed and it was never going to happen for me. But then I realized very quickly that I pivoted and said, first of all, you can't let anybody dictate who you are and who you're going to become. You are the master of your own ship and the captain of your own fate. They can't take it from you, but you can most certainly give it away. And that happens all the time. And so you have to know who you are. And then from there, you have to also realize that like life has many opportunities and many paths. And so American Idol was one path, but you see people who didn't win, like Jennifer Hudson, who created a whole different path. Exactly. And so it's not like if this doesn't happen, I, I think a lot of times in life we have this all or nothing or perfection mentality. It's like 
even with side hustle and flow, like there are people who are like, well, if you don't do music full time, you're not really a musician. It's like, well, that, that's not true. You know, that's, that's their limited mindset and view. Um, and then I learned that through the years as I wrote after that more music, getting to my hit single Confident has almost a million streams. I thought it was a cheesy idea, but basically in the song, I say, I'm not going to shrink to fit your narrow point of view. I, I want to, I want expanded universe. We learned that when we talk about uh, fixed both versus growth mindset, like you can ha- adopt a growth mindset. You can learn optimism. You can have a much bigger universe, but many people work in a very narrow, constrained, uh, confined view of, uh, of success and, mm-hmm. and what that means. And so, uh, you know, for many people, you know, I learned from Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, a friend of mine interviewed them for his podcast, a guy from IK Media named Derek Floyd. And he basically asked them, how do you, uh, you know, become so hot for so long? And they said, we never focus on being hot. We always wanted to be a slow boil. That's mm-hmm. a consistency that we can mm-hmm. keep in longevity. And that's what I focus on. You look at someone like a Stevie Wonder, like they had hits, but it's like, you know, when you want to be consistent, like there's like a level, you know, there's one hit wonders. You can go boom and then it's over. Mm-hmm. Or you can be like, hey, let's just keep that slow boil rapidly going, you know, over time. So I think that's the way to go. It's like define your own version of success and then you become better than who you were yesterday. That's all you have to do. Hmm. Um, you talked about Terry Lewis and Jimmy Jam and others. And I want to talk to you now about funk music because, you know, we all grew up with it uh, from James Brown to George Clinton. And it seemed like funk went from, you know, 17 brothers on stage down to, you know, eight brothers on stage down. Mm-hmm. To, and then you had Prince who's up there by himself, but one man funk machine. Uh, mm-hmm. So where is funk now uh, in your view, especially since you are a practitioner and you, you know it and you love it. Um, you know, where's funk music in all in, in comparison with all the other types of music out there right now? Where do you see it? Well, I think funk is in a way disco is, is part of that. Like I remember there was a huge backlash of disco like 1979. There's only one disco Grammy given to uh, I Will Survive, uh, but disco didn't. But it folded into like other music throughout the 80s. You know, the BGS started doing stuff for Dionne Warwick and Barbara Streisand, et cetera. But and then eventually, you know, disco came back totally with uh, Daft Punk and Pharrell right. and now Rock. Right. You know, it, it never really dies. It just kind of morphs and and changes. And so I think funk because it's so accessible and such party music, like it never went away. It may have resurgences and other stuff. You look at like Uptown Funk, people were ready for that. You right. know, it, it was like, oh, Mark Bronson, the, you know, they had already done it with, with Valerie and other stuff. You know, they had, they, they proved that the new and the old school can, can have this boomerang effect where you get the parents, the grandparents, you get the new kids, you get the old kids, everybody. Because uh, good music will always prevail. That's the first thing that people have to remember. It's like there's always like auto tune and other stuff, but in the end, people will always eventually gravitate back to an Amy Winehouse, for instance, because right. you know that stuff is is tried and true. You know, you listen to Motown for hundreds of years while you're in the old folks' home. Will you listen to Britney Spears in the old folks? I hope not. I hope not. So <laughs> I um, but I think I think there's a lot of of new funk pioneers. There's a lot of great hybrid brands. A lot of bands are coming from outside of the U.S. too. So I think Europe. Australia, New Zealand, even uh, in Asia, you know, I think there's different people. So you have groups like Krongabun doing Thai funk. What was it? We didn't know. Now we know. And they've had huge success. Uh, Leon Bridges, you know, who they work with, has done some stuff. Um, and I listen to Hiatus Coyote and Moontown, lots of people who mix jazz and funk and other styles. But I think ultimately 
yeah, it, it did become expensive to have those big bands for sure. Sometimes you have more people on the stage than you had in the audience. That was right. the P funk. <laughs> right. That was the P funk effect. But I think it was interesting because James Brown and George Clinton and Bootsy and those people, and that's great. I love how they're passing the torch. You have a group like Silk Sonic, Anderson Pack, and Bruno Mars who have absorbed that style, but working with Bootsy to show like that they have respect and homage for the classics. And uh, again, like I said, I think. Even people like Corey Henry. There's so many great groups. Genius. This is a genius. Corey Henry is the man. Yeah. Yeah. And and he's been like that since he was a kid. You see videos on the organ. Right. And so I think uh, even last night, you know, I was in Hollywood and I went to this one place and saw a couple of bands and then just stumbled into another place to happen to have a band, a friend of a friend who I didn't even know was going to be playing. And there's just so much talent. There's so much talent out there. And not everything is going to be recognized and everything is going to be awarded. But it's out there and on spotify i mean they're releasing hundreds of thousands of songs a week mm -hmm. and so those playlists and stuff are, are great to be able to discover but i think just pull that childlike wonderment and creativity that gets beaten out of us i, I think through school and beyond forward where when you're in that discovery phase when you're open to to always learning about new artists and new bands, knowing that, you know, we can respect the old while embracing the new, then the world is a, a bigger tapestry and much more exciting. So funk is here to stay in many permutations, but it, you know, it, there's always going to be something that moves and grooves for sure. Absolutely. Like I was telling you before we started, I, I love music. I love all kinds of music. Uh, had, a, you know, just fortunate in the time period I grew up in. You mentioned uh, some of the funk, groups in the in the in the you know mid 80s that came from england you know howard jones and all those cats that was, was doing funk music so um it's definitely a genre that's uh, a standard i mean it truly is a standard uh, just right up there with jazz and all the other types of music you can think of so uh, mm -hmm. i appreciate your affinity for funk because um i think it's such a driving force in our culture and most people probably aren't even aware of how influential funk music is on popular culture today so definitely. as we uh as okay, oh, guys, we say something else. No, I said definitely, yeah. And I like I like the idea. So basically, with James Brown, what they did is they took what was called a vamp, you know, where mm -hmm. you would just kind of have it as a transition, and they made that the full thing. And they're like, oh, we're just gonna jam, jam on the one. And as you look at Bootsy, it's like they expand the definition of like what is the the one that could be the source, that could be the universe, that could be this vibration. That's the other thing that I've realized now as I get older, as I went to Joshua Tree and I was up in Ojai and I meditate and I realized like nature is humming. There's yeah. like a buzz mm -hmm. and the vibration in different places. And when you become attuned to that, when you're playing with other musicians and everybody is tuning to, you know, that's just tuning the instruments, but tuning to the vibrations of each other, you, you, you get those peaks and moments of, of, of of synergy and symbiosis like and i think funk is a great medium for that in the way that jazz is because there's so much improvisation so much listening to each other and when you think about those groups like even if you have a james brown or george clinton as a focal point it's the bootsy collins and the catfish collins and the bernie worlds and all those other people and the fred wesley's and the maceo parker it's all of them together they're cooking you know, what Curtis, uh, King Curtis said, a uh, Memphis soul stew. You know, it's all mixed together and they mix us through the Delta and beyond. So I'm always excited when I go to New Orleans or New York or anywhere. I mean, there's so, there's so many people that you can learn from. And even if you don't play music, just to appreciate, like you got to get out there and support live music, support new music. 
stream new music, whatever you have to do to, you know, people, they need you more than they think. And it matters. That one click matters more than you think. Hey, exactly. Shout out to Junie Morrison, too. Got to give Junie Morrison a big oh, shout yeah. out. Big shout out. Uh, he was right there at the forefront of all of that as well. Um, mm-hmm. As we get ready to, to to wrap up, let me ask you. So uh, the book is out now. So, But what's next for you, man? What's next for Cliff Beach? What are you working on? In terms of the book, we're working on some derivatives. We have a mini documentary that's kind of in the festival submissions and distributed submissions right now. So we'll see how that does in the coming months. Uh, but that was exciting to, you know, to give a visual medium to the book. And then we're also working on a video online course of the companion that's currently being edited. So we hope to have that out hopefully before end of year. Uh, again, to just give people a different opportunity to realize that people learn at different facets. The book is out in all the mediums, so hardcover, softcover, Kindle, ebook version, and audiobook version, which I narrated myself. So all of those out of Audible is out there. Um, SciHouseFlowFlow.net will get you to the, the book. Uh, and then we're working on new music. That's really my my core passion and goal. So we're we just finished up a soul record and we're figuring out distribution for that. And then I'm editing my first jazz record, which still has a lot of soul and R&B elements. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. You know, as you're always constantly working on different projects, I never do the same project twice. And so I'm always trying to not only just evolve, but it keeps it interesting. But also, like I, you, you have to remain hungry, and to do that like all growth happens outside of your comfort zone. So I have to do something that's uncomfortable or mm-hmm. I'll become the same. And then mm-hmm. once, once I become exactly the same, unfortunately you can never like trap lightning in a bottle or recreate the exact same thing twice. I can go record the same place with the same people, the same songs, and it won't be the same. So, so you just have to like move forward. Life is always progressing forward. Like you think, you know, maybe you could do other stuff, but you don't. It's like always pushing you forward. You can't go back. Got to burn the boats. You got to look forward and drive, <laughs> looking in the rearview mirror. Just keep it moving forward. That forward flow, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Forward flow. Oh, well, Cliff, uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your journey and discussing the book. The book is titled Side Hustle and Flow. Uh, it is available everywhere. And uh, what was the website again where people can go? Sidehustleandflow.net. But if you go to Amazon, you'll also find everything there. Excellent. Excellent. Cliff Beach, thank you so much for being on the Edric Show today. Thank you, Edric, man. Anyone who knows Junior Morrison is, is good with me. <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, uh, I can, oh, we, yeah. We, I we, can, we can go deep in, the, deep in the cuts, man. But yeah, Junior Morrison was bad, brother. If you, you youngsters out there, Google Junior Morrison. You will not be disappointed. Um, let me close this out, man. We could, we could go a whole another half an hour talking about, about music. Maybe I'll have you back on and we can talk about music uh, in, in more awesome. depth. Uh, this has been another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. This is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Check us out on Spotify, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. I do want to thank you for tuning in. Hit that subscribe button. This is the place, as I said, intelligent conversation with interesting people. I want to thank you for tuning in, and I will catch you on the next episode. <laughs>